Well, hello to all our quality-minded listeners. A special shout out to our Mayo Clinic Care Network members. Welcome to Key Into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. This podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps towards understanding and improving quality challenges in your organization. So thank you a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Timothy Morgenthaler. I'm a professor of medicine here at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science, and I'm the vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality and Affordability. Co-hosting with me today is Sherry Namick. Sherry? Welcome to everyone joining us today. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation and Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. So today we're gonna have a conversation with our guests about avoiding patient harm by improving reliability and handling clinical specimens. Many of you may or may not think about clinical specimens as a source of diagnostic error, but you know, eliminating clinical specimen errors is actually essential to reducing diagnostic errors, which in turn are frequently associated with patient harm. In fact, recent studies show that diagnostic errors are the second largest cause of adverse events and second leading cause for malpractice litigation overall. And a lot of laboratory data are a huge part of the diagnostic process. And some estimates say that maybe 40 to 90% of the medical database is filled with diagnostic laboratory data. And guess where that data comes from? Specimens. You don't get the data into the record without gathering a specimen. And so between the time that you obtain a specimen and getting the answer out of the lab, there's a lot of steps and a lot of things can go wrong. And who wants to be on the other end of an error? Who wants to have their biopsy specimen lost or mishandled or even worse, confused with the different patients? This is not a good thing to happen. And I think everybody on this podcast would like to know how can we reduce the likelihood of that happening? So, you know, reducing labeling errors and lost specimens and specimen errors is really a patient safety priority. So this is a problem for every healthcare system in the world and getting it right is a lot like what you see on NCIS. You gotta get the right evidence and then you have to keep the chain of custody right so that you end up with the right information. Today, we're gonna talk with two nursing specialists who recently worked on a local project to reduce specimen errors in just one surgical practice in one of our many facilities. Part of what excites me about this conversation is that this sort of thing is just part of how we work at Mayo Clinic. We're obsessed with seeing opportunities to improve, and some might call it a preoccupation with avoiding failure. Then a bunch of our people, just like you're going to see today, they jump together, they have a can-do attitude, and they take it upon themselves to improve the process. So let me introduce my guest to you today. Our first guest is Kayla Simiel. She holds a doctorate in nursing practice in health innovation and leadership. Kayla, tell us a little bit about when did you join Mayo? How long have you worked here? What's your role at Mayo Clinic? maybe some of the roles you've played over the years. Well, thank you for having me today. I'm a nursing administrative specialist currently. While working on this work, I was a nursing education specialist here in Rochester, Minnesota. I've been at Mayo Clinic for eight years now, mentored several individuals and colleagues while in the nursing education specialist role, sat on many divisional institutional and enterprise committees. I received the RN Individual Achievement Award, I've become silver quality certified through this project, actually, and I am also an assistant professor of nursing through the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science. Wow, Kayla. We're we're honored to have you. Welcome aboard. And then also we have Amanda Johnsroy, who's another one of our nursing education specialists in orthopedic and plastic surgery on our Mayo Clinic Rochester campus. Amanda, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as well? Thank you for having me. I'm currently the nursing education specialist in orthopedics and plastic surgery. That is the role that I have worked on this specimen project in. 
I've been at Mayo for over 20 years in a variety of roles, all based on surgery, such as a surgical technologist, and then a circulating nurse in the operating room, and now a nursing education specialist. I have served on several committees, including the hazardous medications, currently on the safety and blood and body fluid exposure committees, chair of a unit council, and a leader of the specimen project. Wow. So you guys, yeah. You have I a think lot. we're in good company a, today. Yeah, you've got yes. a lot. We might have to have you come back and talk about some of those other things. But today, we're really <laughs> glad to have you to talk about specimen error reduction. So I'm going to just lead off with a question. Before we discuss how you've worked to reduce specimen errors, why is this topic important to you and why is it important to our listeners? I think you really kind of touched on it in your introduction. Specimens are a critical component when you think of the care and safety of our patients. So anytime you have incorrect results or misdiagnoses, that can cause delayed treatment, or you can even have delayed outcomes. So in order to kind of avoid that, it's really critical that we make sure that we are labeling our specimens correctly, we have our requisitions correct, and we're transporting our specimens in the right proper manner. So just knowing that there are a couple different ways that specimens can cause errors. There's reportable errors and non-reportable errors. And we kind of get into that as we talk more about the project that we worked on. So, you know, before we get even deeper into the project, I was just curious. I was sitting here back thinking, like, why did they start doing this? There's so much to do. I do realize that it's very important. But was there one particular maybe event or something that kind of was the activation energy for you all to say, okay, you know, we're going to roll up our sleeves and get started on this? There wasn't a one particular event. We looked at the majority of the quality data, and there's always been an emphasis on improving outcomes. When looking at the data for specimen errors from 2018 to 2019, we realized that there was not a significant improvement in the number of specimen errors throughout the surgical suite. Therefore, we decided that we would complete a gap analysis to see where we could focus our efforts to improve the specimen process and decrease overall specimen errors throughout the surgical suite. Let's dig into this topic a little bit more. So talk to us about how you work to decrease specimen errors within the surgical suite. Kind of like Amanda alluded to, we started with that gap analysis just to see where the obvious barriers and things were that we could overcome and hopefully improve upon. So we got together a quality improvement team, which included Amanda and myself, and then our colleague, Shelby Gerlisberger, who's another NES in surgical services. And we really partnered with the pathology department because we need to figure out kind of how to make a better process. Through that partnership, we were able to create and pilot a gynecology specific source aid to really look at some of those reportable errors that are related to source related type errors. In addition, we looked at how we prepare our specimens, transport our specimens, and then the documentation side of things. So we kind of put together this little framework on how we would handle reportable specimen errors through that. So our implementation really included creating that guide and then educating the staff on that guide. So we defined what a fixation delay was, just knowing that time frame from which you need to have the specimen taken out of your patient and brought to the pathology department. And then for kind of ease of use, we put these specimen aids in each of the gynecology ORs on the pilot unit that we were utilizing. And then from there, we were just trying to create a process change that helped reduce specimen errors. Hey, Kayla, I want to ask you a little bit of clarification. So you were talking about source errors. Tell me a little bit more about that and what the aid is that you've put together for them. Yes. So a source error is any time that you are labeling a specimen 
including your laterality, so making sure you have correct left or right, um, or if there even is a laterality, depending on what you're taking. And the source is the actual anatomic location for which you are labeling your specimen. So a lot of times maybe a provider or someone is giving you a source that you wanna put down, but that's not actually an option within our electronic health record. They had to figure out a way to kind of parallel those together and put in the correct source. Because if they would call the OR back from the pathology department to clarify on it, there would be an error if it's not what the pathology department wanted to label that source. So if I understand correctly, I'm going to make up an example. So forgive me, my clumsiness here. But what you're saying is a biopsy has been taken from a specific anatomic location. And then when it comes time to log that specimen into our EHR, there really isn't an adequate description of that available in the EHR. It would have to be free texted or something, which is always discouraged. And so you found that that was one source of error. Is that right? Yes. So pathology has a list of acceptable sources. So we were able to kind of parallel that list with what sometimes providers would ask for as a source. So you know what to correctly put to identify the correct location. So it's sort of trying to teach everybody the same language so that everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. Yes. I think we were all speaking different nomenclature. And then that was part of the problem that related uh -huh. to some of these errors. And then what about these aids that you were talking about that you put together? What, tell us more about that. So the aid consisted of kind of those sources. So we'd lay, label out the sources and just say anatomical location on one side and what that should be labeled as a source related to our electronic health record. So that was the front side of it. And then the back side of the resource really kind of went through some tips and tricks that we found important within our electronic health record. Because sometimes there are instances where you did have to put a little free text after you clicked on a source because it's not the exact location that the doctor wanted to kind of relay to pathology department. It's a bit like you're trying to make sure everybody can navigate within the restrictions of the EHR that we have happened to work with. Is that accurate? That is correct. Yeah. Maybe someday in the future, we can have some machine learning kind of help us translate what we actually mean into what it says. But anyway, we're not there yet. So I get it. Yes. Ideal yeah. state would be able to have all those listed out. So you could just click exactly what you wanted. And what were the results then of implementing that source aid? What'd you find? We sent about 250 specimens in both the pre-intervention and the post-intervention phases and collected data from both of those phases. The pre-intervention data highlighted both reportable and non-reportable errors. However, the initial implementation focused mostly on those reportable errors. The error rate prior to the implementation of the source aid was 3.31%, and then after was 7.17%. The number of source-related specimen errors remained unchanged throughout the implementation, but the number of those non-reportable fixation-related delays drastically increased during the analysis period. Tell us a little bit more about reportable versus non-reportable. What does that mean? So reportable is an error that would include the source being incorrect, laterality, wrong patient labeling, uh, no label, or some other mislabeling. That is reportable to the state. The non-reportable errors are things such as maybe the wrong test was ordered or a fixation delay where it has that certain amount of time to leave the operating room and get to pathology. Just for a little background for our listeners, Minnesota is a state that has mandatory reporting of certain so-called never events or whatever. So there's a whole list of different kinds of patient safety events that if they occur 
in any facility inside the state of Minnesota, they have to be reported to the state. And then the state sort of aggregates that results and can help hopefully help us all learn ways to improve in, in, in different things. What you just described to me, though, it sounded like the error rate was going up as you were doing the project. It was not as far as the source related errors that we focused on, but then we did notice that the fixation delays were going up. So we did need to implement a second phase to address that. Well, tell us about that. So really in that second phase, we identified the need to kind of fill that gap with those fixation related delays. So there was this drastic rise in the non-reportable errors, mainly from fixation delays. So just not getting those specimens to the pathology department in a timely manner, and also just errors within the requisition. So we identified that that is really just a gap in our process. The unit that we piloted on was actually one of the units that is furthest away from the pathology department. So it does take a longer amount of time to actually get there. So what we did is we just did some analysis within the outpatient setting, since this is where this took place, to see what other areas were doing. And we found that another area was actually using pre-filled formalin containers for permanent only specimens which is actually ideal because then you can put the specimen directly into the formalin in the OR and there's no time frame for which it has to be at the pathology department at that time. So we were able to really implement this change process and not only just implement it within the pilot gynecology specialty, but throughout the entire unit of this outpatient setting. And we saw a drastic decrease in the number of non-reportable errors during that time, just related to a small change in our practice. It didn't change anything really within the operating room. It didn't increase any time delays or anything. It really just was a change of process that really helped streamline things and then also decrease that error rate. So somebody else in the institution actually had already kind of come up with the solution for you. How often do you find that happens in your quality improvement projects that you, somebody else actually figured out a way to do this? You know, it happens more than you think. And yeah. it's great to know that there's also all these processes out there that you can utilize. It's just figuring out where they are and how you can kind of get a hold of them essentially to make it your own process. Well, hopefully through this podcast, some other organization or maybe some other part of our organization will learn of right. this and be able to apply it right away. So that's wonderful. So what did the error rate come down to as a result of this project? The results of the phase two implementation that focused on the fixation delays and decreasing those included 315 specimens in an eight-week period. There was a total of one error during this time, which accounted for a 0.32% error rate. The error rate was actually related to a requisition issue. So the second phase implementation did significantly reduce the number of fixation-related yeah. errors. Yeah, I'll, I'll wow. say that's a, that's a big decline. So, mm -hmm. so you feel comfortable that the combination of phase one and phase two, you've kind of hardwired some things that are going to keep the specimen error rates down and, and you feel like you got there? I sure think so, especially within that outpatient unit, which we piloted. We look forward to hopefully expanding this uh, into the entire surgical suite once we get those other specialty-specific resources created. I agree with Kayla. We have two additional specimen aid resources made for two other areas. So we're working on implementing those and getting those out to staff, as well as some of the other areas that have higher incident rates. Yeah, really great work. How did you find the team dynamics of this project? It's my impression that this wasn't just the two of you over coffee decided to do this. <laughs> so, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Did you feel like you had good levels of cooperation and what kind of obstacles did you run into? What do you think? 
we really found what was lacking originally was maybe that true partnership with mythology because we didn't realize why those errors were stemming or what kind of was creating all this increase in error rate. So just by getting that same nomenclature and having that same language, we really were able just to decrease those errors quite a bit. And then on top of that, working with them to figure out what other areas were doing to reduce those fixation delays was really helpful. Once we kind of got the project implemented and on its way, we've been really partnering with some of the surgical colleagues because this is something we're looking at hopefully bringing throughout the Midwest so that we can all just work on improving our quality and decreasing those specimen errors. So what would you say are your key takeaways from this quality improvement initiative? What should our listeners learn from this? One of the key takeaways would be making sure to do that broad assessment or that gap analysis of a situation to understand what is the root cause of that issue such as why were we having such high specimen errors? Why we can, can identify the issues and um, come up with an implementation plan or a solution. Another key takeaway was we are working on creating an interdisciplinary specimen work group so that we just don't have us doing this project and specimen errors continuing afterwards. We wanna continually be able to combat those errors and work on them. So we're gonna have nursing education specialists, nurse managers, pathology, as well as some of the surgeon champions sit on that group. We identified the need that we need more aids for the different areas, because of course, everybody's gonna have different specimen names in the different departments. And also more resident and provider or surgeon education on the specimen errors, especially the fixation delays, presenting to them and defining what an error is so that they're on the same page and understanding as well. Yeah, so Amanda, you know, with the creation of the interdisciplinary specimen work group, I'm just wondering, Is there a plan for some ongoing data gathering so that you kind of know whether your improvements have stuck? You know, it sounds like you're creating the the group that's going to be accountable for making sure that, that the whole process changes stay put or even maybe if they have to improve in the future. Do I have that right? Yes, that is correct. We'll continually look at that data of our error rates and see how our interventions are affecting it. Well, this has been pretty good. I love the fact that you guys took this on and you, you actually talked to the people who are the on, on both ends of your process, the clinical staff on the one hand, giving you the specimens and those who are receiving the specimens. It's just a great example of how you do quality improvement. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Sherry, do you have any other questions? No, I learned a lot today. Thank you for joining us. It was a great conversation. So we have come to the end of our podcast. Listeners, we're glad you could join us. And we hope that the information provided has been insightful and valuable. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and populations that we all serve. So please let us know if you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, share it with the other people in your organization so that the information can be spread. Until next time, goodbye.